0: Hey everyone, it's DB. If you love listening to us here on Kings of the Podcast, what's stopping you from grabbing a mic and starting your own show? And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community discord and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks and on top of that we'll help you get your show pushed out to apple spotify google stitcher and all other listening platforms and the best part is you can get all this for only 15 dollars a month the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you for just the initial setup so if you're ready to do more than just listening to us talk about your favorite la hockey team then make your voice heard in hustle acceptance into the program is limited so get your application in today to apply go to bwhustle.com slash join check out the description box in this episode to find out more but that's bwhustle.com slash join It's time for a new episode of Kings of the Podcast. Buckle up here!
1: Welcome back. Kings of the podcast. Episode 103. Dennis Bernstein. We are 24 hours into a little more than 24 hours into free agent frenzy. Are you in a frenzy? I'm in a frenzy, John. And uh, I think you have to calm the
0: troops a little bit as well. But uh, let's get to it.
1: (laughs) All right. So we're gonna we're gonna work everybody up into a froth. Uh, we'll bring in Trevor Moore, and then we will calm everybody down in the third period. We'll bring some logic into the conversation, and uh, we'll try to explain things. Dennis, a lot of people right now, they want answers, <laughs> yes, and I John. think that you and I have them. We will try to provide them. We'll see where it goes.
0: Absolutely, John. I think that uh, I think there's people on two sides of the street at this point in time, but we'll try to give some reasoning behind uh, what was made here with respect to the Moves. And maybe I don't even have some answers as well. I might ask you some questions as well.
1: OK, well, if there are people on both sides of the street, our job is to uh, make sure that nobody gets hit by a car along the way. So we will we will do our best to clean everything up. Yes. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are coming to you live today from beautiful Southern California. As always, today we are actually recording in the Vic Vanasky studio. Uh, DB, before I delve into that, I saw your eyebrows uh, sort of perk up there. What does what the name Vic Vanasky mean to you?
0: Is he not an original king? Was he not originally picked in the expansion draft?
1: You what? Close. Really close. He came in 1971. Now, okay. he was the Kings' first pick in 1971. However, he was a third-round pick because that, of course, was the era when the Kings passed out first- and second-round picks to other clubs uh, like they were candy. Yes. So their first selection in the 1971 amateur <laughs> draft came in the third round. They took, of course, Vic Vanasky. Now, the reason that I selected him, Dennis, is that today on the program we're going to be joined by Trevor Moore, he of the University of Denver, and the Kings have only selected a couple of players mm-hmm. out of the University of Denver. Denver, Vic Vanasky was one of them. He did go on to play 430 NHL games, DB, all of them in Los Angeles. He was a center. He was about 5'10, 5'11. He, uh, he scored 61 goals. A lot of little notes here to pass along. One of them is he also played briefly for the WHL Portland Buckaroos, which is one of my all time favorite names uh, for a hockey club. The Portland Buckaroos. Need to get one of those jerseys, by the way. They are still available uh, through the, the vintage jersey shops. Um, and here's another little tidbit for you. In the spring of 1972, so right after he graduated college or left college and before he made his NHL debut, another NHL club tried to acquire his rights from the Kings, and the Kings turned down a first-round pick uh, for Vic Vadasky. So that's kind of interesting because the Kings, they just didn't <laughs> like first-round picks. They, they didn't, didn't want jump, to acquire yeah, them, and they, exactly. and, as soon as, and as soon as they had them, they had to get rid of them. So God, they opted go. to keep Vic. Now, he is. Uh, he's become a real fixture in Southern California hockey and the youth hockey community, etc. He uh, he's coached club hockey uh, in Southern California, including at UCLA, their club program. And uh, he's brother. His, he's a brother in law of Mike Murphy. Mike Murphy, Daryl Evans and Vic, they all married sisters. So at one time, wow. they were all brothers-in-law, which is kind of interesting because they were teammates in Los Angeles as well. And uh, anybody that knows Vic will tell you he's just uh, – he's a real man's man. He really can do it all. Uh, he's hes the ultimate Canadian. He can fix anything. He can do anything. Uh, he's a skating <laughs> coach, has a sick shot, watches hockey religiously every day, and uh, longtime president of Bay Harbor Youth Hockey Club as well. So he's – He's been in and around Southern California and mm-hmm. remained part of the greater Kings community or the hockey community uh, since retiring many, many years ago. i just throw one more name at you, DB, because I know you sure. love the fun stuff. If you are a University of Denver honk or an L.A. Kings aficionado, maybe you are a, a, like the king uh I mentioned there were only two or three or four players, maybe I think it's four total, that have come from the University of Denver via the draft. If you know the name Connor James you know uh give yourself a gold star for the day he was drafted by the kings in 2002 he only played 16 games in the national hockey league so uh i didn't go connor james i went Vic finaski i thought that Vic trumped him db you did a little bit more of an illustrious career uh, yeah i knew that name i did not yes (laughs) you would would have stumped connor james yes yeah (laughs) You know, that was in the it's so funny because uh, children's names, they go through these little waves. Right. So, yes. For a while, everybody had to be named Connor. (laughs) Then you had I don't know if I'm doing this in the correct chronological order, but everybody for a while had to be named Austin. And then you had the Trevor's. Yes, uh, I don't know where we're at on the uh, the Sam? birthing names oh, right Sam? now. Sam, I, maybe this, maybe
0: no, see Sam Rinehart,
1: No, no. What you do is you look up and down the NHL uh, uh, draft board, and you just find oh, the it. most right, common right. name, and then you know that eighteen <laughs> years ago, that right. was the name, right? Like, yes. it's really easy for me. Just a couple <laughs> years ago, if you wanted to know which NHL teams were going to qualify for the playoffs at the beginning of the year, you just went through the training camp rosters. If they had a Trevor or a Tyler. <laughs> then they were going to the playoffs. If Fantastic. no Trevor, no Tyler, you're out. You're out. doesn't matter. You're done. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, speaking of that, yes. our, our guest today, as I mentioned, is Trevor Moore. A fascinating story. I don't think that it's 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 unfair to say. He was really viewed by many people, Dennis, as kind of a throw-in right. in the trade. Uh, you know, he wasn't the marquee name when he came to the Kings coming over from the Toronto Maple Leafs. But uh, during the interview here today, I want to get into it with him. I want to sort of know the whole backstory about him growing up. Of course, everybody knows uh, that he is from Southern California. <laughs> it's mentioned. Yes, I think every um, time he's every on time, the ice or in a every game. Every time he Dennis. touches the puck, John, it's <laughs> Thousand Oaks. We get it. Yes. yes uh these it's so funny it's It's the king's version of matt nieto john that's what he is (laughs) yeah exactly yeah matt nieto where's he from dennis i don't think long beach john i think he's from the lbc
0: i'm not sure from long beach pretty sure sure. i've got good authority my sources are telling me john long beach
1: yes well, your sources are in, in tip-top shape. I uh, I sarcastically or jokingly made reference to the other day about uh, a player, I think Detroit ended up taking him, uh, who was originally from San Diego but played for the junior L.A. Junior Kings, Yes, I'm uh, and he was in this recent draft here. So you knew that that was going to be mentioned 500 times if he happened, uh, just that day, if he happened to be taken by <laughs> L.A. or exactly. Anaheim, but – he did not, So, um, but I do give credit to the NHL Network. They did happen to pick up on the L.A. Junior Kings reference. Yep. They, uh, they mentioned it, so that's good, and uh, good to see another SoCal product being drafted by the NHL. Um, now, Dennis, we're going to do uh, some numerology here, but we're going to keep it rather short because we sure. want to get to the Trevor Moore uh, interview in the second period, and then we want to come back in the third period. The Kings have been pretty busy here this week, DB. They've signed... Uh, not only Trevor Moore, but they, they've put pen to paper on the uh, Athanasiu contract, mm-hmm. finally. They also picked up a defenseman from Vancouver uh, yeah. in Alex Edler. And, of course, they added Philippe denot uh, on a six-year contract from the Montreal Canadiens via unrestricted free agency. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I are going to have a lot of takes uh, on these uh Contract signings. And so let's leave that for the third period. We'll talk all about the lineup and the future and the plan that Rob Blake and Deneau referred to. Uh, (laughs) But let's talk a little bit about numerology. Now, Trevor Moore is wearing number 12. We've covered this number before because uh, we've had guests on like Roman Vopat, who wore 12. And I've made reference to this um, a few times through the years that 12, quite honestly, has not been a very kind number to the LA Kings. (laughs) Like, when you look over the list of people that have worn this number, Dennis, um, it it is rather substantial in terms of volume, in terms of quantity. Right. Uh, There are 32 players, including Trevor Moore, that have worn this number. However, the majority of people have only worn this number for a season or maybe two. There are only a few outliers, but there's nobody, at least in my mind, that has really laid claim to this number. And when you when I say twelve right. LA Kings, that people go, Oh yeah, that is XYZ player. It just it's not right. one of those numbers. Now, recent fans, uh, people that have come on board, you know, it's kind of from the cup years forward, so let's say over the last ten years, they of course will point to Marion Gabrick. But mm-hmm. longtime fans, longtime Kings fans probably don't point to Marion Gabrick because while they remember his time in LA, uh, we've had a lot of fun with this on Twitter at time, you know. Forever a king or just, you know, stopped by yeah. for a cup of coffee type thing. Right. I don't think of Marion Gabrick as an LA King. He had a great run here, but mm-hmm. when I think of Gabrick, I don't necessarily connect him to the LA Kings. Do you? I would connect him to the Minnesota Wild.
0: He had 44 yeah. seasons there. Yeah. That's, that's, it, the, that's the team I would connect him to. But you know, he had he had a championship run here, and and I remember didn't yeah. Simone Gagne wear twelve?
1: In, in 12? Yes, he did. Again, right. though, would you when you think no. Simone Gagne? Do Fliers. you think LA Kings? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> right? So, so, definitely not. That's my point. Is these yes. guys have sort of have stopped by at different times? Uh, Ole Jokin in War Number Twelve. Right, right. But I'm not sure that people outside of Los Angeles think of Ole Jokinen as an L.A. King. Like the Kings do, Kings fans probably do because he was a high draft pick. Mm-hmm. He was involved in a prominent trade, et cetera. But uh, he went on to have a very long and illustrious career in the NHL, and his time in L.A. was brief.
0: Yeah, brief, and he wasn't established. He was more established with, I think, the Rangers or the Panthers mm-hmm. than the Kings. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, you had Andre Lochtianoff, of course, uh, mm. Andy Tong out there in, Arizona, in uh, Denver now, and all the Lochte lovers, they love to bring up that. Uh, so he wore 12. Roman Volpot, who, I mean, man, if you haven't listened to that episode of Mayor's Manor, if you only listened to one episode, please listen yeah. to the Roman Volpot episode. Right, Dennis?
0: Oh, absolutely. Just, uh,
1: <laughs> who,
0: who pissed in his chair? He had a
1: perspective.
0: He had a perspective.
1: Yeah. Had a perspective. That's <laughs> a great way to put it. He had a perspective. <laughs>
0: um
1: <laughs> sylvain couturier he wore that number as well so a lot of different guys uh jimmy right. carson wore it for a brief time I, I i won't run down the full list of 30 plus names but the point is that uh trevor moore i think has a real opportunity here dennis to lay claim to the number i I don't know how long Moore is going to be part of the la organization but if he goes on a good six or seven year run here sure and really establishes himself it's not about scoring goals right like Ian LaPerriere was not the most prolific goal scorer, but Lappie is a king through and through. And when you think about the numbers that he wore in L.A., you go, yeah, Ian LaPerriere. So Trevor Moore, even playing in a fourth line or even a bottom six role, has an opportunity to make 12 his own number, if you ask me. Exactly.
0: And look, the two numbers next to him, 11 and 13, you have automatic designations for those two. So, yeah, 12 could be absolutely taken. So you could have three in a row there.
1: This is yeah, well, I'm I'm still talk period. about pissing in your Cheerios. I'm still a little upset with Gabe velarde because he he gave me the big swerve, right? I I talked to him throughout <laughs> the summer last year about you know Gabe, you know, 13 is going to be available here now with uh with Cliffy gone and everything, and uh, yeah, I'm I'm starting to wonder if maybe I talked him into it because he was opposed to it. He was like, you know what, 42, it's good. I I want to start with a clean slate. I want to establish that number. I'm kind of warming up to it. I like it. So you know, we all started to believe Gabe. We believed that. He was going to leave 13 alone, and it was going to remain as Kyle Clifford's number. And then, uh, you know, come training camp, I don't know. The itch got to him, and he called up Cliffy and asked for permission. And then he switched over to 13, and uh, the rest is history, as they say, DB. But, uh, yeah, a little, little, little bit of a swerve there on the part of young Gabe Velarde. Well,
0: there's no question you're an influencer, John. So may, at some <laughs> level, there was some impact. You put it in his head, John, so <laughs> well, let's go.
1: I know. I need. I needed, I needed to not do that then sorry uh if there's a second show that you listen to people you do need to listen to the gabe velardi episode because we played the clip of him at about eight years old barbecuing and teaching people how to make uh beef and chicken uh yes. which is an amazing amazing clip and hearing gabe talk about uh what was it sleep train eat or whatever his, his yes, three-pointed yes three-pronged motto was at the time right. it was right. uh, it was pretty exactly. amazing love love listening to stories from lardo so all right db enough of the first period let's keep it rather short on the other side of the break we have trevor moore and then after trevor moore we'll come back we'll talk all about the la kings what they're doing this summer and where they're going this coming season and the years beyond right after the break trevor moore Welcome back. Second period Kings of the podcast. And we're happy to be joined by this guy, but he's probably even more happy because he just signed a brand new two year contract to remain with his uh, well, his childhood team, the LA Kings. We'll talk about that as we get into it here. I'm talking about, of course, Trevor Moore. Trev, how are you doing?
2: I'm great. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, you would be doing great right now. You just went through a pretty exciting time period in your life uh, where you are now inked for two more years. How does that feel?
2: I mean, it feels awesome. Uh, obviously, grew up watching the Kings. I've been a Kings fan my whole life, and then uh, you know to be to be here when they're building something, a team that we believe in, and uh, to be a part of that is so cool.
1: Now we're going to get into your childhood and growing up and your hockey career and all that sort of stuff uh, as we move along here. But I just want to tell you, I think this is going to be an interesting interview. Most of the guests that we, have the podcast. I have an extended relationship with most of those players, so it it, it makes for, I think, uh, a, a rather natural conversation. In this case, it's this really weird thing. You've been part of the LA Kings organization now for two seasons. I barely know you because you you joined right before the COVID situation. So uh, it's it's just gonna we're gonna have to get to know each other throughout this call, and you're just gonna have to be okay with it.
2: Hey, you seem like a fun guy. I think we're gonna hit it off.
1: All right, let's 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 give it a shot. Uh, I want to start with numerology because that's a big part of the program. You wore number eight at Denver. You wore number nine, I believe, with the Marlies, 42 in your NHL debut. How did you land on 12, or did somebody just stick it in your locker and that's, you know, away you went?
2: Yeah, they just gave it to me. Um, honestly, I think 12 is an awesome number, though. Uh, I've had some good numbers in my life, but I, I have no issue with 12. No plan on changing that anytime soon. Right, the Kings don't have
1: the best of luck historically with number 12. So for decades, they've been waiting for a player to come along and lay claim to that number. Uh, you you could be one of the few that has a lot of success with it. So best of luck to you in number 12.
2: Marion Gabrick? He
1: was successful. A limited time. He was
2: only here for a limited time. Oh, okay, well, I would consider him successful. That's a good player.
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's not to say <laughs> the players haven't scored goals wearing that number. I'm just saying uh, – you know, this is an opportunity for you over the next five to eight years or whatever window you think your hockey career could be. You could really lay claim to the number. And in, you know, decades from now, when your kids have kids and people think, oh, L.A. Kings, number 12, they could think of Trevor Moore because Gaverick will start to fade into the distance as as time goes on.
2: <laughs> yeah, I love your optimism. I hope so.
1: All right. No pressure. Um <laughs> How about this? Uh, how did I want to know? There's so many things to unpack with you. Fascinating story on so many levels. But how about this? You were protected in an expansion draft last week with Seattle. And I'm just wondering, you went from being the kid who was a free agent and you made you know, you scrapped and fought on your way to the NHL. You have a you know, now a new contract, didn't have one last week. But I'm just wondering, from your perspective, on the protected list by the LA Kings six other forwards. How did that make you feel?
2: I mean, I'm just grateful. Um, Like you said, the start of last year, I don't think I ever would have thought I'd be on a protected list. So um, I'm just grateful that they had that belief in me and uh, just super happy to, to be able to stick around here for sure. When did you
1: know or how did you find out that you were going to be on the protected list? I mean, we had been projecting it for a couple of months, but you're probably not reading Mayor's Manor to find out, are you on the protected list? I'm assuming you're waiting to get the official word from either, you know, Todd or, or, or Blake or somebody. So how did you find out who told you?
2: Um, I kind of actually just saw it online, but honestly, like I haven't really given it much thought. I just been enjoying my summer, um, spending time with my family and and then I figured, you know, things will just work themselves out. Um, and you know, they did, and I'm just super, super grateful.
1: Well, I can understand that from what I, uh, from what I've come to learn here, you are getting ready to be married soon. So you have a wedding to plan. You have a a bride to be, to take care of. That's probably more important than uh, worrying about the expansion draft, I would think.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we've been busy. Um, I, I could, I wish I could say I've been doing more, but, uh, my, my fiance has been, you know, kicking butt and she's been doing so much stuff for our wedding. So I've just been trying to support her and, and help her out in that process.
1: Okay. Well, I'm sure that somebody along the way has given you the best advice that there is, which is happy wife, happy life. So don't screw this up, Trevor.
2: Hey, I'm going to do my best. All right.
1: Okay. All right. Let's move on then. Uh, you made your NHL debut December 23rd, 2018 against Detroit. That's a nice Christmas present for for mom and dad, right? All the all the times they took you to the rink uh, a couple of days before Christmas, you make your NHL debut.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, that was super exciting. Uh, they all got to fly out and all the way to Toronto, it was, it was a little bit of a weather change from where they were spending Christmas, but uh, it, it was so fun and it was so special.
1: What do you remember about that? You know, because you have the nerves, but they usually also have that one aha moment, whether it's a face-off or a play along the boards or in the corner. What when? What was that that moment for you where it was like, wow, I'm in an NHL game right now?
2: You know, I think it happened for me before the game. Um you know, you know a lot of those those guys from the NHL club just from training camp and you know seeing them around in the city and stuff. But uh, so we're playing sewer ball and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden you look at the clock and you're like, oh man, a couple minutes till we're on the ice. Like this is really happening. There's no there's no backing out now, right? Like this is it. Um, it it's it was surreal. And it was uh, so so cool.
1: Good to hear that there was no backing out. I mean, your agent might have had his phone turned off at that point because he didn't want you calling him, you know, saying that you uh, you, you were opting out. So that's a good thing. But let's fast forward uh, about a year later, I guess. It would be November of 2019. You made, uh, well, your Staples Center debut. You played at Staples Center for the first time, I, I believe. You were uh, with the visiting team, of course. But what was that like to play at Staples Center, a building that you, you know, grew up coming to, and now you're in the visiting team locker room?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was something that definitely circled. Um, it, it was cool because I'd never been to the bottom part of the Staples Center. I'd never really experienced the the other side of it. I was always on the fan side of it, so just to be able to take check that out and take that all in and, and see all my family and friends and people I grew up with uh, and warm ups and stuff was uh, it was really cool.
1: See, now now you're you're making the lower bowels of Staples Center sound more exciting than they are. I know fans don't get a peek behind the curtain down there, but I mean, it is pretty awesome, right? There's just free food everywhere there's celebrities everywhere it's let's marble and mahogany lined floors it's amazing down the downstairs in the uh Balls and staples center uh,
2: i don't know about that but uh, it's pretty pretty cool for me for sure yeah
1: no you you arrive on the visiting team bus you go down the ramp and uh, it had to be it had to be pretty thrilling um let's just touch on growing up a little bit uh from what i understand and referenced here you were a king's fan and uh, I think your family even had season tickets, and you you guys might have gone to some of the Stanley Cup final uh, games when the when the team was, you know, in its heyday in 2012 and 2014, right? Yep.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, they still had the seats, uh, my parents do. Um, you know, I, we were so grateful for them, and, and they let us go to – I can't remember which game it was um, in, the, in the finals, but, you know, my, my parents actually went to a restaurant across the street, and they let my sister and I go to the games. There was only two seats. Um, wow. I mean, it was – so cool my parents are the best obviously but uh you know just thinking back in those memories and just uh, super special hockey moments um that were that were king's moments right
1: Well, when this this call, when this interview is over today, Trev, I need you to text both your mom and dad and tell them exactly what you just said. They are awesome. What parents are going to give up their season tickets? You go to all 82 or 41 games, but you pay attention during the 82-game regular season only to have fun in the playoffs. The Kings reach the Stanley Cup final, and they offer up the tickets to you and your sister, and they're going to go across the street and have a pizza. Like, you need to text them and just let them know uh, how
2: awesome they are. Yeah, for sure. Probably don't let them know enough, but, uh, yeah, they're pretty amazing for sure.
1: Right before the wedding uh, coming up, so that they give you like you know a really nice speech and they talk about how what a wonderful uh, son you are as well.
2: Hey, that's more great advice. Thank you.
1: <laughs> you're welcome. That's what I'm here for. See, yeah. we're, we're bonding already. You're learning the services Versus. that I'm available that I offer to uh, to people. Now, uh, let's let's hopscotch around here a little bit. You're you're coming off a really nice stretch, not only with the NHL season. Um, obviously disappointing from a wins loss perspective with the LA Kings, but just a nice stretch personally with hockey, not only the new contract getting protected, you played for team USA. I'm going to admit something to you. I was a little surprised
2: when I saw you on the top line. Yeah, me too. I was surprised to play center.
1: <laughs> okay. So it's both of us. And okay. So, so how did that happen? And uh, because Cal Peterson, when I talked to him recently, he tried to play it off like, Oh no, I wasn't surprised at all. Like, you know, Morsey's awesome. Like it didn't surprise me. You know, it's like, really? He's a, Number 1 center on Team USA at the World Championship. So, so you were surprised you were as surprised as I was. Tell me about that. How did how did that all uh, play itself out like that?
2: Yeah, I mean, I didn't know what my expectation was going in. I was just happy to play for Team USA. You know, I thought maybe, you know, as a winger I could play on a, one of the top lines, but um but yeah, and then all of a sudden they put me at center and I'd never played center before. Um, so coming into that, I'm like trying to learn face-offs on the first day of practice, trying not to look too out of place, but, um, <laughs> but it was fun. Did you call was, Jared Stoll for a last minute, you know, crash course over FaceTime? I should have, honestly, he was probably sleeping, but I should have, uh, but yeah, I mean, it was fun. It was a cool experience. It was nice to play a different position, um, and, and play with those players. They were, they were obviously two good players. So, um, yeah, it was, it was great for the experience
1: by the way, Stoley was not sleeping. He was working on his hair at that particular time. So, you know, it takes a lot of effort to uh, to look like that. So that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, the us. team, for what I understand and talking to some people, uh, there's a group text that's the a group chat thing that might still be going between everybody or is going. And uh, when Matty Paneers was drafted by Seattle, I think, uh, there were there were a lot of text, right? you you jumped in on that as well.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, Maddie's a good kid, super happy for him.
1: What's it like, I asked Cal about this recently, what's it like, uh, you're still trying to get your feet under you, you know, your sea legs in Los Angeles as a member of the LA Kings, but then when you go to the world championships, you see some of your teammates in sweaters for the opposition. Is that a little bit strange for you?
2: That was weird. Um, but I think it was just more, it was more kind of fun, right? Like we were all getting to do a cool thing together on different teams. Like it was just a unique experience. And I think that, um, you know, there's no bad blood or anything. It was all, it was all fun, but, um, but I thought it was, a, it was a cool experience seeing them across from us.
1: Yeah. And and from what I understand, you were pretty tight with some of the guys, uh, you know, whether it's Garland or Robertson, you, you mentioned some of the, the line mix and stuff, but you guys really uh, formed a nice relationship or, or strengthened some previous ties while you were there uh, at the tournament, right?
2: Yeah, for sure. It, it was kind of a, obviously a unique experience. There was no, no one else there with us. We were stuck in the hotel. So it kind of felt like youth hockey again, where all the guys got together in the hotel room. It felt like we should have been playing mini sticks or something, but, um, you know, it was just, we just got to create a cool bond that I don't, I don't know if we were expecting having that, but, um, I mean, we had a really close team, a fun team and, uh, you know, keep in touch with those guys for sure.
1: Now you, I mean, you set me up perfectly for this next one. So thank you. You talk about hanging out with the boys and playing, you know, mini sticks, but how about this? Uh, I heard there was uh, an e-game tournament last year or something, maybe during COVID. I think you want a little bit of side cash uh, in this
2: deal. Maybe, uh, Zach Hyman might've been involved in this tournament as well. Oh yeah. Yeah, some Fortnite tournament. Um Hyman's a, Hyman's an awesome guy. He he's I think he set this whole thing up like with the with the PA or something. I don't know, but um yeah, it was cool. It was fun the Fortnite tournament of all hockey players. Um you know, we all most of us play video games on the side just as something to do so it was cool to test your skills against everyone else. Who's
1: the best video game player on the Kings right now?
2: Uh probably Juice. Juice really? player. Yeah,
1: But he only plays uh, soccer, right? What is it? FIFA, FILA,
2: whatever it is? No, he, he's been playing some Call of Duty. Um, really? He's, yeah, he's good.
1: Oh, I can't picture that. You know, he likes to look so good. And, you know, he has that whole style wardrobe thing going. I can't imagine that he would want to get shot up in Call of Duty and have blood on his clothes.
2: Oh, well, you know, I don't know if he gets any of that, but <laughs> he's a good player. Um, yeah, we have fun. You know, it's good camaraderie thing for sure.
1: Sure, absolutely. Uh, create some good chirps via the text uh, chats, too, from what I understand. Now, look, um, you played at Denver uh, with your college hockey and uh, your line mates there. By the way, this was a terrible nickname. Uh, I heard the line was nicknamed the Pacific Rim. That, that's just that's not a good nickname, by the way. Uh, I don't know who came up with that. If it was you, don't own up to it right now. Blame somebody else. But um, it, maybe it was a little foreshadowing, though, because the Pacific Rim line. Now all three of you guys are playing in the Pacific Division, right?
2: Yeah, I won't comment on the name. I did not come up with it, but I won't comment. I, I think it was fine. Um, <laughs> uh, also, yeah, uh, you know, th- we were good buddies and we were close and it was fun having having that good line. And now we're all up in the Pacific Division playing against each other a lot, which which has been fun. Um, I mean, we played against, you know, the CBS line in North Dakota all those other all those other silly name lines. But, um, but, you know, it was fun. It was fun to have a, a line like that that people had to watch out for. And um, it's fun to see us all have success.
1: I'm always amazed at how much uh college former college hockey players still pay attention to what's going on in college hockey are you are you paying any attention to sort of the rise of Arizona State and how they've gone from being D1 you know uh upstarts and darlings to you know really a fantastic program
2: yeah absolutely um you know i would never change my experience of denver for the world but uh gro- growing up out here out west um you know arizona state would have been a good draw for for west coast kids so um i think that I think that there's a lot of talent out here and they're going to be able to to reach a lot of that talent and get them there. And that's awesome that they're, they're on the up and up.
1: Yeah. For right now, they're cornering the market on the bloodlines, you know, all the, all the sons of former NHL players. So at some point they're going to have to extend their pool into uh, other hockey players, but yeah, we can't wait to have division one call Southern California. I think it's going to happen sometime within the next five years. That's my personal opinion, but um, let's go back and, and talk about the recruiting process. I think it's it's interesting, and I'd love to hear your tale about it. So you, you know you you, you slipped through the draft. You're an unsigned college free agent. How many teams were looking at you? How did you decide on Toronto? What was what was that process like of being recruited
2: for you? You know, it was one of those things that I didn't have all these teams coming after me. I went to Toronto's development camp, and uh, you know, I had a good camp, um, and then they just kind of wanted to sign me, and they offered me you know a good deal for a kid. Coming out of college i never thought i'd be able to sign an nhl contract or at least i thought that was a a far reach so i just said hey you know let's just go for it uh go here they had a lot of talent a lot of people you know that were that were you know gonna have to try to go through and uh you know i just said i'm gonna try to prove them wrong
1: you're known for your work ethic and so you know when we talk about players trying to make it to the next level whether it's going from college to the the pros or from the ahl to the nhl etc obviously you had the work ethic on the ice but we probably don't talk enough about, you know, what happens off the ice and mentally. And so I'm just curious, going through and not being drafted, going through the process of being an unrestricted uh, free agent as a, as a college player and, and whatnot, and trying to, trying to get that contract, the mental aspect of it, like, because I would just imagine no matter how much confidence you have, there had to be days where you started to doubt yourself or days where you started to doubt the process overall.
2: Um, I guess like in college, I was your your mindset is obviously you want to get there but you're having a good time i i I really enjoyed my college experience and it it wasn't like i was sitting around every day just like i gotta get to the nhl i gotta get to the nhl i was enjoying myself i was taking classes with with my friends and stuff but then also it it was almost like i could see all the opportunity because there were all these guys who were drafted and guys who were going turning pro who i thought that i was as good as you know so i think that it was just about me keep keeping pushing forward and and just really wanting to prove myself um you know, obviously it would have been nice to be drafted, but I think that it, in the long run, I was it was good. I wasn't.
1: What's the process of selecting an agent? You're with Murray, who's kind of a, you know, has a niche, if you will. And I'm curious, I mean, not do you like, but were you more interested in going with the boutique agency or, you know, just why there instead of, one, you know, Newport, CAA, something like that? How did that come to pass?
2: Um, when I got with Murray, he was at CAA actually. And then oh, okay. he left. Yeah. But, um, but Murray is such a good guy. I think that's like the biggest thing uh, that I would look for in an agent is just someone who's going to be honest with you. Someone who's not going to, you know, try to sugarcoat things to make you make you feel good. But someone who's going to hey say, Hey, you know, this is, this is where you're at. And, um, you know, can't let your ego get the best of you, all that kind of stuff. And Murray's a good guy to do that. And he's supported me for a long time.
1: So you weren't just looking for an agent to scream, show me the money at
2: you all day. Yeah, definitely not that.
1: All right. Uh, you, you grew up, I believe, playing at Simi Valley. That was your home rink or one of your home rinks. What other uh, local hockey rinks here in Southern California did you, did you skate at?
2: I think all of them <laughs> growing up. I think we played like, at every rink. But I played out of Lakewood uh, for a long time when I was with the LA Selects. Um, Westminster way back when when the LA Selects were there. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I played at all of them, though. Did and you have cool. a favorite I, local rink? Uh, I mean, the Valencia rink, I think is super nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then I just went to, uh, just was skating at, where is that? In West Valley or something at their rink there. I think the Kings own that now. And I mean, that place, that place looks great too. They did a great job.
1: Wait till you get down to Irvine and, uh, check out great park. It'll, it'll blow your mind. That is not a youth hockey rink by any stretch of the imagination. It's not the ones that, not the ones that Southern California has had for the last 20, 30 years. Um, that's what's cool. How about the trade? When you were traded from uh, Toronto to LA, did you have any sort of an inkling at all that you might be included in a deal that, you know, you you weren't long for the Toronto organization or were you completely caught off guard?
2: I was super caught off guard. Um, you know, I, I had good relationships there with uh, you know, the coach and the, the GM, Kyle, uh, we were in, I was in the minors with them, you know, we won a color cup, all that stuff. Um, but you know, it's a business, right? And, Looking back at that year, I was hurt for a lot of it. It was, uh, you know, I guess a lot of question marks around me. So when when that trade happened, uh, I, I was bummed at first for sure when I heard that I was traded just because I, I liked it there. I liked the guys there a lot. They had a good group. But then when I heard it was L.A., it was, you know, get a little happier and you're like, that's that's pretty cool. It could have been anywhere and now I'm going home. So um, it was caught off guard, but it was it ended up being great.
1: When you got the word that you were coming to
2: L.A., who was the first person that you called? Um, I think I called my fiance first and then I called my dad. What you <laughs> He was, he was pretty excited. He, I think he was trying to act like he was a little bit bummed, you know, just cause uh, I don't a little know. bummed. Like he, <laughs> well, well I, I think he didn't know how I was feeling, you know, getting traded. You feel, oh, okay. you know, maybe some sort of rejection or something. I don't know. So he was trying to act like, you know, sympathetic, but then at the same time he, he couldn't really hold it together. He was so excited and couldn't wait for me to get here. So once he found out you, yeah that's what it seemed like for sure
1: all right uh let's see a couple more here uh, we have we have prospects now normally when prospects start out in the nhl they start out in a bottom six role before they get a chance you know in the top six the kings have a lot of uh high-end prospects that are in the pool unfortunately you haven't probably had a chance to spend much time around them i know you guys but uh when you look at the la kings prospect pool uh, and you think, wow, you know, it'd be fun to be on a line with one of those guys. Who, Who's one of the prospects that really uh, gets you excited at the possibility of maybe playing with?
2: Oh, man, that's that's so tough. I, I think that there's so many good prospects down there, guys that are. Uh, that are that are I mean, super exciting, fun to watch. Um, <laughs> it's like so hard. I don't know. Um, I guess I'll go. A little bit outside of it and say Akil Thomas, just because I think that he works super hard and he's a guy who I think that our games would mesh well together that we want to get in, get in there on the four check and hold on to pucks. Um, But like I said, I I don't think you can go wrong. They got a they got a good pool down there.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that was a solid pick on your part, because Akil Thomas is as real as they come and uh, the the ultimate Swiss Army knife. So, yeah, he's going to become a huge fan favorite of L.A. Kings fans. Uh, once sure, he sure. comes up to the big club, for sure. It'll be a lot of fun, I think, next year, too, for him to be in front of fans in Ontario. I think they'll start to to uh, really take a liking to him very, very quickly. Of course, he's out with shoulder surgery right now, expected back probably around November. But uh, when he gets back in the lineup, that'll be good. Um, what about for you? You know, just a, a only a couple games, really. I mean, not many at Staples Center in front of fans. Uh, how excited are you, at least from a full house perspective? How excited are you when you look ahead past the wedding, past the honeymoon, you get to camp? To, uh, to get back to Staples Center with a packed house.
2: I, I'm super excited. Um, watching games there growing up, it was it was so cool, and it was so special. And, you know, like I said, be on the other side of it. Um, when when I was there for some games, I actually saw that you look up, and you're like, oh, man, they still have season seats, huh? It's, it's crazy. So that, that's pretty cool, and uh, I'm looking forward to it.
1: All right, let me ask you about three quick players, and uh, we'll jump off. We know you have to pack. You're leaving tomorrow. Don't want you to forget your tux or anything. Uh, that would <laughs> not make for a good story. Nope. Nolan uh love this kid he's he's so buttoned up i think he came out of the womb a man instead of a child uh he's just he's the ultimate pro but he also has that funny side where he cracks a couple of one-liners once you once you get to know him so give us a good funny uh jod story jad jod whatever you want to call
2: oh that's so hard too i don't know um you're killing That's me tough. all my questions are hard today You're killing me yeah well that that is hard i mean he's Jed's just such a good kid i think that it's like i don't can't really have one good story but i think that because he's so quiet and he's buttoned up uh all of a sudden he'll he'll like you said he'll throw a one-liner at you and it's like it couldn't be it could be anything but he's just uh he just makes you laugh and, and he's a good kid and a really good hockey player all
1: right so the next guy is a man of a thousand nicknames you have grundo you have goldstrom you have uh i think Brownie was calling him Sergey this year. I'm talking about, of course, 91, Carl Grundstrom. He's another guy who can be funny at times, uh, you know, but at the same time, he's still trying to figure out his way into being a full-time NHL player.
2: Give us a good Grundy story. Uh, Good Grundy story. Is that Um, one hard too, Jeff? Yeah, they're all hard. I can't remember stuff. Come on. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) i don't know i mean just anytime he hammers someone in the boards and he comes back to the bench and he's like he's just glowing you know like he's so happy and he's just i don't know he, he makes you happy um and his language barrier he's uh sometimes he'll mess up a word or here and there and it's just funny but um but yeah also a great kid and, and a good hockey player yeah.
1: the physical aspect of his game i believe is really the most underrated aspect of what he brings to the table everybody looks at him as kind of this versatile forward bottom six guy can play right side can play left side and whatnot but for my money he's kind of like a dustin brown light which is also not something you normally see from a lot of the european forwards that come over and normally tend to dazzle you more with their skill than they do their physicality
2: yeah for sure i mean his other nickname is tonka uh, he's a tonka truck he's out there you know some switches and he gets mad and then all of a sudden you get out of his way because he's coming you know um but yeah i like dustin brown light a lot it makes sense nicknames
1: for sure so the last guy that i want to ask you about would be uh blake Lizotte. And i'm just curious who works
2: harder, you or Blake Lazette? Oh, I mean, I'm going to go Blake. Blake is uh, <laughs> that, that dude go in the corner with anybody and come out with a puck, right? Uh, yeah. he, he's, he's fun to watch. He's fun to play with because when you want the puck on your stick, you throw it to his corner and he's going to go get it.
1: Not a bad I'm going to give you a B plus. Not bad. And uh, right. I wish you I wish you well in your, in your wedding uh, and, and all the festivities and uh, enjoy whatever honeymoon it is that you have planned. And we look forward to seeing you in camp back in uh, what, I guess it'll be September. So just a couple of months away. All right. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Trev. There you go. Trevor Moore, he of the LA Kings. And we'll talk more about him and the uh, future lineup here in LA right after the break. back to the third period of kings of the podcast with db and the mayor kings of the podcast here we go third period thanks again to trevor moore for joining us uh you know and congratulations on his pending nuptials here and and getting married and uh man what a summer for him db he's the hometown kid he signs a two-year deal he's gonna be with the la kings he's uh securing things with his bride he's just he's putting ink to paper on a lot of things right now
0: he is he's a closer absolutely he's a closer and uh and a nice storybook for him right coming home establishing himself starting a family it's uh it's a really nice story on trevor moore
1: and what do you make of the contract i mean he gets a two-year extension he's sort of now the kings you know have committed to him but where do you see him? Right? He he was playing top line center as we talked about there during the interview, which is crazy <laughs> yeah. uh, at the time for Team USA, but he's um he seems to be able to give a little more than no pun intended, yes. than perhaps what you would get from a normal fourth line player. Kind of a tweener in my book, you know? Uh you can do third line spot duty when you need him. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think RW3 is his top end, so so bottom six right wing. And if you learned anything if you're a fan listening, um, you need bottom six players to produce. That's how you win champ- That's how you get to, Well, I'm not going to talk about championships at this point, but that's how you get to the postseason. So I certainly think that. Um, and not only that, but his World Championships was really strong as well. So I think you want to put him in RW three or four. That's fine, uh, but you do need productivity now on all the lines. So I think that's where he fits best.
1: Yeah. And he just brings a certain level of energy and professionalism to to that whole group, similar to what Jod brings as well. Right. So it's it's great from a culture perspective. And that's something that um, Rob Blake had mentioned after signing Trevor Moore is, you know, how great he is from a culture perspective and what he Mm -hmm. brings to that sort of younger group. Uh, All right. So there's that signing. Now, we'll just sort of build into this, Dennis. Uh, uh, The next signing to talk about here would be double A. He did sign for one year at $2.7 million. I do just want to quickly address something because sometimes these knuckleheads do get to me, Dennis. Yeah, I sure. saw. Um, I know what you're going to say. People wanted to Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, whether I was right or whether I was wrong in the quality of my information, <laughs> uh, because I said that. They weren't going to qualify him, and then at the last minute, they did decide to qualify him, and and they wanted to go nuts on social media. Oh, you were wrong. You were wrong. Uh, Okay, if that's what you need to hear from me, then let me be the first to tell you, turn your volume up right now. I'm going to let you know. I was wrong. I said they weren't going to qualify him, and they did. Now, that being said, DB, let's put some context to it because that's something that you and I always talk about, right? Over the last uh, couple of months, it seems like, at every point when I've said that they didn't plan on qualifying him, I always added, however, the LA Kings are very interested right. in, in signing him, even if he went to free agency, meaning if they didn't qualify him on Monday, mm-hmm. they still wanted to try to sign him. Now, so what happened? Okay, so Sunday, the qualifying offers are due on Monday. So on Sunday afternoon, I checked in with sources. What's going on? Any change in plans? Who are the guys that are going to be qualified? You know, and who's not going to be qualified? And everything was on track with what we had been reporting for a couple weeks leading into that. Now, over the next 24 hours, what happened leading into Monday's deadline? Well, they made more progress on a contract. They were able to get it. They were up to about $2.5 million on the contract. They felt that they were close, really close. And uh, sort of knew what the, the number needed to be in order to get a deal done, and for that reason, they decided to qualify him. Why did they do that? Because by qualifying him, Dennis, on Monday, that prevented him from being a free right. agent, and that meant that other teams could, right? right. That meant yeah. that other teams couldn't uh, couldn't talk to him, and they had a couple days there to sort of work out the finer details. Sure. The original thinking was that they didn't want to qualify him because if they weren't close on a contract. By qualifying him, they would then have to go to arbitration, mm-hmm. and why go through all the hassle of that if they weren't close on a contract? Right. Once they were at the 2-5 number, they felt they were really close, and ultimately it was 2-7, uh, which they ended up doing um, on Wednesday, I guess it was, to wrap up the deal. So it, it's a technicality in my book, and, Dennis, I'm not saying it because I'm trying to say that I was right. I'm saying it because I'm trying to teach people how the process works and educate people. Mm-hmm. It's you want to look at the micro, or the macro. Like you
0: said, they were interested and they wanted to bring him back, and they brought him back. So that's that's the big picture situation, and you, and and that was the whole point: is that they had interest and in they the expectations were he would be on the roster this coming season, and that's what happened. Now if they changed their mind, John, in the last twenty four hours, and they want to qualify him. Is that your fault? Does that mean you're wrong? No, people change their minds all the time. <laughs> I, it's so, you know, people like want to point at us and say you don't know. And, and, and I, if it, like, John, if it makes them feel better, that's great. Are we right 100 percent of the time? Never. No one is. Elliot no. Friedman, Bob no. McKenzie. Did. So, so, but, but the, the the point was of the thread is that they are interested and they want to bring him back, and that's what happened, and that's how I sure. look at it. So, whatever the intricacies of it to get to that point where he signed um i don't really care it's all minutiae
1: at this point yeah uh it's just funny how some people they 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 get so worked up over uh, what what seems to me like minor little details like uh, to me i'm more fascinated again i don't care if i'm right or wrong i'm more fascinated by the process to get there how did you get from point a to point b well at the beginning of the point was they weren't interested they being the Kings weren't interested in signing Double A to a three-year contract. Now his his team his team probably wanted a th- sure. you know his camp probably of wanted course. a three three-year contract because they didn't want to go through what they went through last year where he was an unrestricted free agent until just two days before training camp opened. So they probably wanted a little bit more security. And every year that goes by, a player is a year older, and therefore they want the security more and more. So the term is again more and more important to them, right? Uh, and for the Kings, they liked what he brought last year. And uh, one of the things that I noted, uh, I don't remember if it was on Twitter or in one of the articles, Dennis, I'm sorry, but Mm -hmm. it was the fact that they said, you know what, Uh, in talking to management, they were like, his defense wasn't the issue that it was advertised to be. So people came into it thinking that he had a problem defensively. Uh, McClellan even referenced it a couple times throughout the season. He he was, I don't want to say decent because it paints the wrong picture, but the point is people knocked on him for his defense and it wasn't that type of an issue in L.A.
0: Because they saw minus 48, John, and they thought he was a horrific defensive player. And then when you go from minus 48 to minus 6 on a better team with better defense, that's what happens. Now, I will say this, John. I- I'm scratching my head a little bit on the deal because his numbers were exactly the same as Trevor Moore, and he got almost a million dollars more. Now, in the big picture with respect to the salary cap, that doesn't really mean much. Um, mm-hmm. My concern is is that this looks like like – The fact that Jeff Solomon isn't in place here, because two seven, I was kind of shocked. I'm like, okay, he's going to get a raise. He was at one, two. He got a million and a half dollar raise again in the big picture doesn't mean anything. And he's unrestricted. So if he he does well again this year, um, he can cash out and go somewhere else. To me, that was a little bit. I thought that was a, a substantial bump when I look at Trevor Moore's number. And we talked about how a complete player Trevor Moore is.
1: Yeah, you know it's interesting you bring that up, Dennis. I would have pegged Double A to come in around two million. Yeah, he he does play a, he does play a little bit higher up the lineup than Trevor Moore. Double uh, A to me is a tweener between the second and third line. He's probably better suited as a third line winger in mm-hmm. my opinion than a second line. He doesn't produce consistently enough for me to be on the second line. Right, but the talent, the speed, et cetera, the coaches—they just can't. You know, they they uh they can't help themselves. They're, they're gonna put him in second line situations often because you want more. For, it's kind of like Adrian Kempe, right? Like you want him to be a top line player, but that's just not who he is, probably. So it's kind of the same thing. But double yeah. A to me was worth about two million. And here's yeah. the thing: if the Kings if the Kings had to commit at two seven for say three years, I would be more concerned. I'm not concerned this year because they have plenty of salary cap space to to work within. So it's not that much of an issue. If it took two seven to get him under contract and to give them a little bit more veteran experience and so what i mean is to just not go oh we're gonna have to pencil in Turcott at that mm-hmm, spot mm-hmm. or we're gonna have to pencil in yeah. you know whoever leas anderson even at that spot it gives them you know arvidson that comes in uh we're gonna get to DeNoe, mm-hmm. and now you have double a who has more exp- it just gives them nhl experienced options yeah. in double a and look who knows i'm not saying this is going to happen But look, they have options right now, DB. They have legitimate options where they don't have to force feed people in. So you get to training camp. And if you absolutely don't like the player for some reason anymore, and he's not fitting in with who you think are the best 14 forwards, you know, you can trade him. You can put him on waivers. You can do whatever because it's a short-term deal. And the the money is still low enough that most teams could be able to absorb it. And hell, even if the Kings had to retain money, if that's even legal, I'd have to go back and look given his age and contract status and whatnot. But, just the point is that it gives them options and like you said it's a one year deal you get to the end of the year and either he's going to perform this year and you're going to really like him and you're going to think that he's mm-hmm. part of something and you want to invest in him and you want to offer him you know 3 years or whatever or you mm-hmm. go hey you know what thanks a lot for sticking around we appreciate your second year of service here right. best your of luck to you player. And, and, and on you gold, go gold, gold. right yeah, exactly. and a yeah, transitional player bridge deal yep. right and then Turcott, Kaliev, well whoever sure. steps in and takes his spot in the lineup sure all right so that's double a I I, I just do want to say that the one part that kind of bugs me DB is I, I I don't understand this is going to be uh delicate here because people are going to overreact I don't understand the hype around this particular player meaning that fans some some segments of the fan base are so attached to this guy like he's the second coming right and it's like Guys, do you realize that he had two stretches of like over twelve games where he didn't score at all? He had he had a long stretch, I think it was twelve or fifteen games with one goal, and he had a twelve game scoreless streak. Like, Mm -hmm. he's just he's not consistent enough. So, like, pump the brakes. Like, it's great that they signed him. It's great that they have some some uh, options here, DB. But if for some reason double A didn't come back, he he is not. The season next year does not does not hinge to what happens and how many goals double A sign uh, double A scores. No,
0: no. It, it, I guess there are some people that still think he has that thirty goal stick in him that he had in Detroit three seasons ago, and he does not. He's not going to get the opportunity on this team, so I, I, I don't. I don't get it. I, I think he's a middle. He's a middle nine player is, is what he is. He's a to me on a on a really a playoff team. He's no higher than third. He's not, I think, John, last year he proved he wasn't a second-line player. So in the third line, if he chips in 15-17, to 17, that's exactly what you want. Then it's a bargain at 2-7. So, yeah, I don't, I don't get it either. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that it was a mandatory move that they needed to come back, that he needed to come back.
1: All right, so best of luck to him. Hope he does get 50. You know, Hell Hope he gets 20. That would be fa- right. that would be fantastic. Todd McLone will do cartwheels down the <laughs> strand in uh, in the South Bay. Okay, let's get to the next one here before we get to DeNoe, and that would be Alex Edler. Sure. Uh, DB, again, I, I I I'm not down on the fans, so please don't take it that way, because probably the overwhelming majority of of fans really do read and they understand and they're very knowledgeable, but there's that like subset of fans that just don't pay attention enough. They're they're too quick to reply with their hot takes, and they're like, "What do you mean they signed a 35 year old player? What happened to the 24 year old LD one?" It's like, guys, the whole plan was laid out, the summer shopping list. Article: The whole thing was laid out what they wanted to do defensively. They were probably going to go bridge player on the defensive side because the 24-year-old LD1 probably wasn't available. However, just because the LD1 wasn't available didn't mean that they were just going to sit pat. They Mm -hmm. wanted to add a bridge defenseman. How many times did I say somebody better than Ben Hutton (laughs) to, to come in and to challenge for that starting sixth spot potentially moving Olimada into the 7-D spot. They went out and signed Alex Edler, uh, did check in with a number of teammates, Dennis. I'm sure you did as well. Yeah. Just sort of tried to get the lay of the land on Edler. People love him. He is an outstanding teammate. They're just really excited about uh, him coming into the L.A. locker room. Great guy. Everybody loves having him around. And uh, I think it was Blakey who referred to him as playing sort of a harder, heavier game. And that's what they need in that group of six, is that harder, heavier game. So at 35, if he can come in and just give him one year, Good on him.
0: Yeah, I talked to uh, our Earth Gafar who's up in Vancouver, who knows Alex for and covered him all his career and stuff like that. So he says a quirky interview. So we'll get some probably some interesting quotes from him. Uh, they add some size, on the, which they really need to do, John. They needed some size. Edler's a, a good-sized defenseman, and he's probably a he's a five, six, seven guy at this point in time. You know, you look yeah. at his numbers. He yeah. for three seasons already, he was over thirty points in Vancouver. Last season, eight. So there's some tread off the tires, but this is a guy who's smart who can give them 15 minutes a night and spell Mata, depending on the matchup. So yeah, I agree with you three and a half, maybe a little high, but again, they had the space to do it. So it, it's a depth move. Um, the bridge player, I don't know, John, it, just to, to riff on that a little bit, the, uh, the LD one, I looked at the mm-hmm. free agents next year and unless De- uh, Darnell nurse goes free agent, there isn't that guy, so it's more than likely going to have to be a trade to get that type of player, yes. and we can talk about that at yes. a future point in time. So, But, yeah, I don't, look, are, are, is the defense better with Alex Edler than it is with Curtis McDermott? Okay. Yes. I, I th- yeah. That, I mean, 99, yeah, if you don't say yes, then maybe you didn't watch Mac play or you haven't watched Edler play, so they're better. Um, it's not the player that they need, as you mentioned, but it, it, it improves the blue line
1: for next season. Everything doesn't have to be immediate gratification, Dennis. Oh yes, it does, short-term John on plans. Twitter it
0: does, and what are we talking about?
1: <laughs> well, there are short term plans, midterm plans, and long term plans, and this achieves the short term plan of improving the team in the immediate future with still giving them the options from an asset perspective to be able to make that yes. trade to get the twenty four year old defenseman, which will come sometime, you know, over the next twelve months ish. Yeah. Right. If it sure. happens in month thirteen, I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. I was wrong. But the yeah, point is, exactly, the, the, the clock they, starts they now, are, John.
0: July twenty ninth, twenty twenty two. They better make that trade, or you're wrong. Start, I'm wrong. It starts
1: immediately. They will be adding. They will be adding that LD one at some point. Uh, what this does, though, uh, Dennis, is it really helps solidify that defense. It gives them size. It gives them the um, the heavier game, like we talked about. Mm-hmm. It it can also relieve a little bit of pressure defensively from yeah, a Mikey Anderson, from yep. a Toby Bjornfoot. Yep. Let these guys sort of grow into their role. And uh, here's the other thing, Dennis. I don't know if it was last show or the show before that, but you and I were talking, and I made the the, the reference or the story about it that. Last season for veteran players in many ways reminds me of the lockout years where guys would be off for a long time and then they would come back. Mm-hmm, and some mm-hmm, guys right, yeah. immediately returned to their former selves because of the way that they prepared during the off season. Right, And for others, that first season back almost became a throwaway season. So with Edler, I'm very curious because you mentioned 30 plus points for three straight years, very consistent leading up to last year. So three straight years of 30 plus points the pandemic hits then he comes back he had an off year obviously vancouver had an off year as well sure. but he had an off year so i'm wondering coming in this year which alex edler is going to show up for this one year in los angeles is it uh, you mm-hmm. know is he more like his previous self uh after you know being back and being in shape and you know getting going again or is what we saw in vancouver last year and and you know the limited point production is that the guy that's going to show up I think it's an interesting uh, sort of case study to to follow yeah. and to watch in the 21-22 season. Yeah, it's a
0: great thing to look at. And they, he provides a little bit more punch. That's even more of a bargain. But, yeah, again, at three and a half, you get a veteran defenseman who plays on the left side with up certain size. Like it, it checks a box. And you mentioned it's not the guy, but it's a guy that will help you. And I just think that, yeah, when you add that player and you add a 28-year-old second-line center, like, you want to win now. So there is some urgency, I, I believe, with respect to improving the team somewhat. And the way I look at the division, it's wide open after – you
1: know, Vegas and Edmonton. All right. So, uh, last point on Alex Edler DB is that he is definitely going to need to find a new number. <laughs> we had talked to Victor Ardvidson uh, when he came on the program and he said, Hey, look, I already wrestled 33 away from Toby Bjornfoot. Uh, Toby's still searching for a number, uh, from what I understand, he'll get one by training camp, but, uh, Ardvidsson is going to wear 33. Alex Edler is not going to have the same luck as, uh, as Ardvidson did. Uh, Alex Edler has worn 23 for his entire NHL career DB, let's just get right to it. He is not getting 23 no. from Dustin Brown, so sorry, Alex. Uh, not even with a Rolex watch, number that won't, won't even convince <laughs> t- DB 23
0: to give it up. No, no chance. Well, he,
1: he could get he could get a Rolex for uh, for Dustin, a Rolex for Nicole. Uh, he could even get Rolex for all four of the kids. I don't think, I don't think the 23 is. <laughs> is coming off the back of Dustin Absolutely. Brown. So uh, sorry, Alex Edler, you're going to need a new number. Uh, I did some digging and tried to find what number it might be. I Really no clue, uh, because number three is another number that he's worn, or he wore in junior, I right. should say, uh, when he was in the WHL. I think he was with Kelowna. But uh, number three is going to be hard to get away from Matt Roy, even yeah. though he's not an established NHL player. Roy wore three in college, yeah. and that's really the only number he's ever worn. So Roy is not going to be – you know even with Alex Edler being a veteran player, uh, Matt Roy figures to be part of the LA Kings for longer than, Edler coming in on a one-year stop. So I don't know. May- maybe Roy thinks, hey, for one year, I'll give the number up and I'll yeah, get it back. But it'll be cur- I'll be curious to see uh, where that goes, which gets us to uh, Philippe Deneau at number 24. He will be getting that number from Leias Anderson, mm-hmm. who was another. All the Swedes need new numbers yes, right now. So they do. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Anderson needs a new number now. Don't know what that number is going to be, but Philippe Deneau will take that number. It's a six-year contract. Uh, some people are freaking out mm-hmm. over the money. Uh, And they're saying that he doesn't produce offense and that he's a, you know, he's a, he's a three C you want to go first or you want me to just give a little opening here before you go.
0: Oh, I want to go first with a statement and then I'll let you start. Oh, okay. okay. The jabronis out there that busted me (laughs) when I said that Velarde wasn't a two C and I was picking on him and I was wrong and he needs time to develop. like, you guys don't know. Like, you think I just made that up? You think I wasn't talking to people? You don't think I didn't watch the games? Like, And it's no disrespect. To, and, and Gabe may go to the wing or go to 3C and fine and, and produce and stuff like that. But please, like, we know what we're talking about here. It was an opinion, but now it's validated because Rob went out and saw the guy for six years. So please, like, the people that were you know barraging me with respect to my criticism of that player, well, you see what happened here. I, he, at this point, uh, maybe a season from now, he's a top six player of Velarde, but he's not a two C. That was my point, and it comes to fruition with respect to Dano. So now that I've said my piece, John, please start on Philip Dano.
1: Well, first, allow me to retort to what yeah. you just said there. Uh, I would agree with part of it that Gabe Velarde is not a legitimate two C in the NHL at this point in time. I believe that Gabe Velarde is probably the most talented of all the LA Kings prospects, uh, and that includes uh, Quentin Byfield. Uh, So Gabe Velarde, from a talent perspective, from a skill perspective, and what he's capable of doing on the ice with the puck is absolutely amazing. And people that have watched him throughout his career, and I mean leading up to last year, um see that the biggest issue with Gabe Velarde is getting him to do it on a nightly basis he needs a warrior mentality I'm willing to give him a little bit of a free pass in terms of the timing because he did spend so much time away from the game uh it, it is a mental thing to get over the back injury and all that he's put all of that behind him uh I think that this signing though does suggest uh, not even suggest it 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 demands uh, exactly what you said, Dennis, which is that he's not ready for a 2C right now. And we saw that. We knew that mid-year last year, right? He was penciled in last year to start at the 2C. And when he was given the 2C responsibilities about 10 games into the season, he started to sort of wilt. And there were challenges Mm -hmm. there. And we only saw it in very sporadic, uh, you know, sort of time periods where he would rise up to the occasion. Gabe Velarde needs to grow into being a 2C. He's not there yet. He needs to grow into being a 3C. He might not even be there yet, Dennis um give him an opportunity to go play on the wing maybe even you play him as a 4C which is absolutely ridiculous no. on the surface when you think yeah. about it but you you just i mean you know Todd Todd did put him there last year but my point is give him an opportunity to grow into the position i'm not ready to uh well, to, to write the final story on on Gabe velardi but let's get to, let's get to Philippe DiNo. Okay. People are people okay. To me the signing makes logical sense and if people want to hear me out on it then i think they can get on board. But if you if you don't want to hear me out on it and you've, you're already set on your decision, mm-hmm. well, then the I guess the remainder of the program is not going to be very exciting <laughs> for, for those people. In my mind, Dennis, here's what they did. They bought insurance. Okay? Okay. They The Kings believe they have a 2C and a 3C in Gabe Velarde and Quentin Byfield. For all this talk about play the kids, play the kids, play the kids, you can't put – well, you can, but it's not very wise – to put Quentin Byfield in the 2C right now. It might not even be wise to put him in the 3C. And even if the Kings were tempted to do that, the Gabe Velarde lesson of last year, and yes, Velarde and Byfield are two different players with two different mental makeups, right? But just watching a younger player get forced force fed mm-hmm. into that role last year should have, caused, should have created a moment of pause for people to say, you know what, maybe we shouldn't rush this thing. Maybe we should let Velarde and Byfield grow into the role. How do we how do we fix that? How do we allow that to happen? Well, we're going to have to go out and get a two C, and and that's going to allow Velarde to move to the wing or Velarde to move down, and it's going to allow it's going to take some pressure off Byfield. You know, because if Velarde's not getting the job done, there would have been extreme pressure for Byfield to take over. Right now, by getting a legitimate two C, a big guy, um, somebody who is solid defensively and can handle that, and you know. Take some minutes off of Kopitar. Look what happened to Dustin Brown last year when some of those defensive minutes were taken mm-hmm. off of Brown. Look how he exploded. Imagine what that could do. And you had mentioned that several times throughout the year, DB. You would even ask Todd about it, taking some of the minutes away from Drew, taking some of the minutes away from Kopitar. This is an opportunity to do that. Did they overpay to get to know? Sure. They probably did, but it's not my money. It's not your mm-hmm. money. And from a cap perspective, they did the calculations. They felt that it made sense on a go forward to be able to get this player signed at this number. And they did. I I made reference today on Twitter, Dennis. They overpaid to get Rob Scuderi at the time they did it. People hated the deal. They hated the deal when they signed Rob Scuderi. They overpaid to get him. He wasn't worth half that money, blah, blah, blah. Right. But it all ended up working out. Okay. I'm not saying it's going to work out. Okay. With Phil Deneau. I'm just saying that 24 hours after the signing, people maybe need to pump the brakes. Uh, He accomplished what they were looking for. A defensive-minded, experienced, second-line center who could take minutes away from Kopitar, who could who could uh, provide some relief for Velarde, some relief for Byfield. And look at where his points come from, Dennis. They come five-on-five. Five. Yep. Did you see that tweet that I put out last mm-hmm. night? I was a retweet from somebody else. It wasn't my tweet. Looking at five-on-five five points and the conversation that he's in. He's ranked ahead of Jack Eichel. He's in the conversation there uh, with Leon Draisaitl. I mean, there's five guys that are mentioned, and and Deneau is in there uh, in, in the conversation of those five people. Five on five, so five on five is where he creates his his points, and that's what they're looking for. So, yeah, you might not see him on the power play, guys. Uh, but you know, hopefully they have other options there. And my last point on this here, Dennis, will be this: before I yeah. allow you to jump in again, mm-hmm. um, from a, from a go forward standpoint, the Kings should have options at wing that they don't have at center, okay? So if you believe that Byfield and Velarde are the centers at 2C and 3C, or uh, and now you bring in DeNo that's three, that solidifies things there at center. Turcotte's going to the wing. I, I mean, he looks better at the wing, in my opinion. He looked great at the wing in Ontario last year. Let him play on the wing. He's dynamic. Let him do that. Let him drive offense that way. If you move Velarde over to the wing, that's great. And if they need to add... Uh, by the way, Brandon Saad, while we're recording this, signed with St. Louis. Mm-hmm. So um, he's off the board. But if you need scoring wingers, you can get those much easier in free agency or trade than you can get centers, DB. Centers are hard to come by. That's why you overpay to get a Philippe Deneau. Yeah.
0: Well, on Deneau, he he led the Habs in ice time as for forwards um, in the playoffs. So this is a player who – and as a facilitator and distributor you mentioned the assist the and a primary assist so he can and he's got speed and he can play at pace right now here's look i'll give the other side of the coin though he was offered 30 million over six by Montreal last summer he turned it down and then when it came to free agency this year they weren't interested and then the Kings offered him 33 over six over a raise over a a not a good offensive season so I, I get the the consternation but john i agree with you with respect to take him some kopi like I, I get that part I, I that you have to do that, Kobe thirty. And you know, with respect to the two C, three C conversation, you know, Kobe's still got three years left on his contract. So, th- so to me, Byfield and I look at Byfield as, as the mix of the centers, not Velarde. I see him as a winger now. Like he's two seasons away now, John. So it takes pressure off of Quentin. Like you don't like right now. Your top six centers are covered for at least, well, let's say, two seasons. Like if Kobe in the last year of his deal declines a bit. That's fine. But for this season and the following season, you're covered at center. It gives you cover on byfield. And to me, that's the guy. That you can say that Velarde is the most talented prospect they have. To me, he's your elite prospect. You're giving him cover. He can develop. Whatever you want to do with him from a developmental standpoint, you can do. And, and I think that's the goal. Um, I have some other – comments about, you know, the overall plan, which you'll you'll get to. For, for me, I have no problem with it. it was a little bit over. Th- th- I think the overpayment, John, was a six-year term, not the five and a half. Because yeah. if you're going to trade for a two-seat, it's going to be six, five, five, six, so whatever. Sure. And, and you know, so this is a, a player who will take big face-offs. And, again, you don't have to play Kopitar 22 minutes a night to win games. I think that's that's vital. If you can get Kopi under 20 and give Phil 17, 18 minutes a night, I think the team will be incrementally better. So, I, I so that's my take on it. I, I, I'm like, yeah, could it have been cheaper or shorter term. Sure, could have. But John, that's what you're paying for, right? I mean, you're paying for that insurance policy uh, with respect to the middle. And I agree. I think that a lot of these prospects are going to be moving to the wing, and that's fine because you got this. You got this specific posi- position covered now. Because I suspect at some point in time, and John, let's take let's say two years from now, if you had Quinton as the two C and you had know as the three C. What's Quentin's number going to be salary-wise? It's going to be low, so it doesn't really matter that you have a 3C, Blake, at $5 million, and you're, if your 2C is making still on the ELC.
1: Yeah, everybody seems to be up in arms over the contract, and um, they have capologists that work on all this. They have people that crunch these numbers and that put uh, the boards together, the 23-man roster together for this year, next year, the year after, etc., Uh, so you're right. I'm I'm just I'm not worried about it. Look, if it was a four-year deal, would I like the deal a lot better? Absolutely, I would like it Mm -hmm. better as a four-year deal instead of a six-year deal. But the market dictates what you have to do. And if it took six years to get the deal done, and it gives you that insurance for, and it makes Byfield a better player ultimately in the end because you didn't have to rush him to the NHL. Like Dennis, for all these people that want to say play the kids, play the kids, play the kids, and all, and I'm not just talking about you, but Look at look at all these guys. Look at the first-round draft picks. Who has come in and lit up the league right out of the NHL draft? Look at the top picks over the last couple of years. You're talking about such a rare breed of player, a, a, a Connor McDavid. Like, who since yeah. McDavid has come in, a Matthews? Like, guys – don't put that pressure on Quinton Byfield. Allow him to come in and be a, a a perfectly great player. Maybe he'll grow into being an elite player yeah. in the NHL. Let me reference that tweet real quick Dennis yeah, uh, sure. for those that didn't get a chance to see it. Over the last 3 seasons, these are 5 on 5 points per 60 minutes played over the last 3 seasons. Okay, so this is a, a big enough body of work that it it's not a small sample size of some little weird quirk. Uh Aho, number 1. Aho, 2.16. Mark Shifley, 2.14. Deno, 2.14. Giroux, 2.09, and Eichel, 2.07. So from a point-generated five-on-five basis, those are your five best players in the National Hockey League. You can't dispute that. Yeah. Five-on-five primary assists, which you just mentioned. Primary assists over the last three seasons uh, per 60 minutes. Barkoff, the bell of the ball this year, right? Barkoff, 0.95, deno mm-hmm. 0.93, Dreisaitl, 0.9, Backstrom, 0.88, and Barzell, 0.86. So this tells you a couple things. This tells you that all of those guys that people want to get on their fantasy teams because they score a lot of points (laughs) and everything, a majority of those points are coming on the power play, guys, because there are a ton of names that you would have rattled off before you ever mentioned uh, the names that I just mentioned. Right. So Barkov, Dano, Dreisidel, Backstrom and Barzell. There's your top five on primary assists. And it's funny because DeNoe made reference to that. Somebody on the media call, Dennis, asked him about goals and creating offense, and he specifically said, I'm going to be able to give you some assists. So he knows what he's talking yeah. about there. Um, the points, look, he's not the guy that you're going to pick on your fantasy team, guys. But that doesn't mean that it wasn't a sexy contract because winning is sexy. And if this right. helps the LA Kings win, and if this helps them get into the playoffs this year, and if this helps them protect Byfield for a year or two, Dennis, yeah. this is a pretty damn sexy signing that we'll be talking about in two years going, wow, that's pretty good. Now I will say the flip side. This thing could go completely belly up. Sure, absolutely, and, there's risk. You know, you. But that's. But you could say that with any. With any yeah. With any signing, though, right, Dennis? I mean, yeah. any, anytime you make a long term. Yeah. Okay, let's get to the. Well, plan. just one other. One let's other. The one other stat. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, one other stat closer to home. Last year, Phil Dunham. Okay.
0: Even strength assist eighteen, Andre Kopitar, seventeen. Now Kopi was a monster on the power play, got twenty assists there. So on five on five play, if you love Andre Kopitar and. He was playing with comparable plays. Look, different team, Montreal, I get it, system. But Pro produced it five on five. Yes. and You know what, John? People are looking at that five in the goal, in the goal t- um, column for last season. That's all they're looking at when they criticize the deal. And they just needed yeah. a better all-around player at 2C, and they got one. So please, the plan.
1: Yeah, I, 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 get it. I do. I just, I do want to say, Dennis. I get it. People for that type of money, for that type yeah. of term, you know, they, they wanted something big. They wanted something shiny. They wanted something sexy. And they wanted uh, something he didn't, from Buffalo. He didn't meet up. that spec. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, that's twice I, the I mean, price. Here's the yeah. thing, though, Dennis. Yeah. But Dennis, can yeah. you imagine the uproar if they would have traded for Eichel, or if they would have traded for Tarasenko, or I mean, people would be upset about that. Like, of course. You know, people try to find the positivity in things. Try to try to find the logic. I think the logic and the context is important. Uh, you could pick apart the yeah, deal easily. Of course. But- you try to get inside the minds of people. Why people, did they do this? And people want what guarantees, the John. They want guarantees on things. Like
0: there's no guarantees. There's, right. there's risk I'm gonna, involved.
1: Go ahead, John. I'm gonna guarantee something, Dennis. Go I'm gonna guarantee, I'm gonna guarantee that we are okay. going to lay out the plan right now. Okay. And that we will still be bombarded with people that have questions about the plan. I may have some questions. So the plan, so get ready for my questions. Okay. But go ahead, please. No problem. Yeah. The plan, the plan as I see it, and I'm not saying I'm right. Okay, let me get that out right away. I'm not saying I'm right. Sure. The plan as I see it, though, Dennis, has been laid out in a series of articles on Mayorsmanor.com. Yes, I'm going to start with 100%. So at, at the beginning of the summer, we said here is the king's shopping list. They want to get two forwards. One is a uh, top six player. One is a top nine player meaning that starts out on the second line and eventually moves to the third line. I, I referenced Jared Stoll as the example. That's exactly what Philippe Deneau is. He is the guy who is going to be a 2C and eventually will become a 3C over the course of his contract in Los Angeles. And they also wanted to get a bridge defenseman because they didn't feel that the top 20, or the 24-year-old LD1 wasn't going to be available. It's all laid out in that article right there. And that's exactly what they executed on. I'm not telling you that because I'm trying to say I'm right. I'm just saying the plan is there if you choose to read it. It's thousands of words. I went into very, you know, yes. uh, a lot of detail. Your now, fingers were tired. You, t- you texted
0: me last week. Your fingers were very tired <laughs> from typing, John.
1: That My fingers have been very tired. It's been a lot of work. been a lot of phone calls, Dennis. A lot a lot of intel I've been trying to gather. Now, there's there would be an additional sort of update to that roadmap to the plan that I put in the article yesterday that said, why did the king sign Danone? Right. As a free agent. And so, you know, the first half of the article is the generic, hey, they signed Philippe Deneau, he played for the Canadians, he had this many goals, he's been in the league for this long, blah, blah, blah. And then the second half is a bunch of bullet points of these are the reasons why they did it. And it goes into the whole thing about Byfield that we just talked about and protecting him and sure. that sort of stuff. It also talks about the fact that they have a rough plan of working two kids into the lineup. When you look at their lineup this year, and then you go to next year. You go, okay. When when will Turkot arrive? Mm-hmm. When will Kaliev arrive? When will Akil Thomas arrive? How do they do? Okay, they'll work approximately two kids in, so they'll have to filter guys out. So make sure that you have players on term that you can move out. It doesn't take a genius to figure out. You look at under who's under contract for next season, and you can figure out. Okay, this guy's probably not going to be back. You know, right. et cetera. This guy's a tweener. He might come back. He might not come back. Um, just like it doesn't really take a lot of thought to figure out that Austin Wagner is is the new. Amadio. And what I mean by that is he's about on his last leg. Austin Wagner very well could be on waivers uh, come training camp because uh, because if you look at if you look at the lineup and I and I put a rough lineup in that article so that people have reference to it, because one of the things that that you have to do, Dennis, you have to talk about a 23 man roster. People want to tell they want to say, well, Lazat should be on the team. Okay, well, hold on. If Lazat's on the team, who's not on the team? Mm-hmm, right, because right. for Wagner to make the team, somebody has to not make the team because they have guys on NHL contracts, just like Clegg. You want to say Clegg should be on the contract? Okay, well, I'm going to tell you right now, they have seven NHL defensemen right now. They have Dowdy, Roy Walker, they have Anderson, Bjornfoot, Foote, mm-hmm. uh, Edler, and Mata. Right. So you tell me, how does Cale Clegg make the roster? You tell me, how and does Austin how does Sean Dersey make it? And they have Will Lannon. And Will Lannon. And Will Lannon. So, tell me how those guys make the roster. It's not as easy as well. I think Will Lannon should be on the roster. Sure. You have to give me the. You have to give me the counter. Full move. picture. You okay, have the so, full
0: picture, right, John? The depth
1: chart. Sure. Absolutely. So, so let me just give you the forwards real quick, and then I'm going to turn it over to you, Dennis. I just want to make sure that we're, we're talking with proper context here. Sure. Uh, so context. With Philippe Deneau worked in, and, and, and Todd McClellan has not texted a confirmation of this to me <laughs> yet, but this is how I sort of line things up at the moment, DB. Top line, Ayafalo, Kopitar, Ardvidson. Second line, Kempe, Deneau, Brown. Third line, Athanasio, Velardi, Anderson. Fourth line, Moore, and Jod. That leaves three open spots, Mm -hmm. and there's a whole laundry list of names, Dennis, and we recently talked about them, to round out those three spots. You have Grunstrom. You have Wagner. You have Lemieux. You have Lazat. Oh, what about this Russian kid that they just signed? Sure. Uh, Tikachev, Mm -hmm. right? And I made, again, in the why did they sign him, I made reference to this. He's the X factor in all of this, DB. If he makes the roster... And look, the kid didn't come over here to play in the American League. Right. He left money on the table right. in the KHL. The for sure. He thinks he's making the NHL. If this kid comes over and lights things up in training camp and he makes the club, now that puts even more pressure on that bottom six group of Lazat, Wagner, Grundstrom, Lemieux, mm-hmm. et cetera, even Jared Anderson, Dolan. I mean, you know, which is what player. you want, John, to be mm-hmm. frank. You want that pressure. That's what you You want competition, right? Isn't that what isn't that what Todd asked for? You want competition, right? So I think there's a good possibility that Anderson Dolan ends up in the with the Ontario Reign to start the year because he's waiver exempt, and if you just you know the Kings will probably go that route, not because Anderson Dolan belongs there, but because they you know he's one of the few players that can go down. Quentin Byfield, who a week ago Quentin Byfield was penciled in DB as the three C, now Quentin Byfield is targeted for the American League because Byfield. By virtue of playing 20 games last year in the AHL, he can go mm-hmm. to the American League sure. now, which is great. So back to the whole Tikachev thing, yeah. it was pointed out to me that one of the other advantages of bringing in know is that if Tikachev was to make the club, they probably didn't feel comfortable with Tikachev having Velarde or Byfield as his center, center right. because they wanted to put him with an experienced center the only experienced center that they really had at that point would have been Kopitar yeah, and you right. can't put him on the top line. Yep. So now you have the option with Tikachev of, okay, well, you could play him on the second line, right? Uh, with, with Deneau, uh which would put, I, I actually like that idea because it allows Brown to go down to the third line with Vellardi, And I like Brown with Vellardi. I've been saying that a lot. You so have, yeah. That's sort of the, 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 rough plan, Dennis. Now, where do you want to fill in the holes or what questions do you have?
0: Uh, Okay. Let's, let's talk about big picture, John. So, I look at the Kings, sure. the assets they had as like a shotgun. It was two barrel shotgun. They had cap space, they had prospects. Well, they emptied one barrel, and I'll give you the numbers. They gave I follow a one point five seven five raise. They gave AA a million and a half raise. They brought in Denot at five and a half. They brought in Edler at three and a half. They gave Roy people forget a two and a half million dollar raise, and they brought in Arvidsson at four point two five. That's nineteen million dollars in cap space. Mm-hmm. So, and look, as you mentioned, John, it changes. Next summer, Brown's expiring, Edler's expiring. That's nine million dollars. But right now, that that asset or that that part of that shotgun is gone. They have two million dollars in cap space, and, and people will say the people that will criticize this will say they spent 19 million dollars. That that was the increase, 19 million dollars, and they've added 15 regular season goals, 10 from Arvidsson and five from Dano. So the question is, was that money spent wisely? on a team that was ranked 27th in scoring. And I, to, my answer to them is, remains to be seen. I need to see this team in training camp, John. Mm. I need to see the boxes that mm. Dean Lombardi always talked about. So I'm not saying they're bad moves or whatever the case may be. The criticism is is that, and you've heard this too, John, I'm sure on Twitter, they didn't go out and get that big goal scorer that people wanted. But if you mm. listen to what mm. you wrote, top six player, top, top six and top nine forward. Did they do that? Yeah, you could argue maybe two top six forwards. I just think that the goal totals for the Orvidson and and Dano, that's where the negativity comes
1: in. Mm hmm. And I think it's a fair criticism, TB. I think that for for people who want immediate gratification, they're going to want to see big goal totals. Yeah. Um, it's going to get them more excited. I I don't have anything against that point of view, Dennis. I I, I don't. Mm-hmm. I think that Brandon Saad, for example, would have been much sexier. I think that Tarasenko, because he's a name and has a history, really would have excited more people. I don't think that Dano is going to sell tickets. Right. I don't think that. Uh, I don't even know if Arvidsson going to sell any tickets at this point. And I think that is an important factor that should be discussed. It's water under the bridge now. They've, sure. You know course. the Kings of. Arvinson committed their 19 million but i think that heading into the summer that that excitement factor should have been a factor or was a factor because look the kings for as great as kopitar dowdy brown and quick are and they're they're la kings legends their numbers will be retired you know on and on and on from a fan base perspective from a what have you done for me lately perspective Mm -hmm they have been selling tickets off the backs of those four guys for well over a decade. And the fans want something new. Like they're, they're tired of eating the big Mac for four years or for 10 years. You know, they wanted (laughs) something, they wanted a McRib dude. They wanted a quarter pounder. (laughs) They wanted something new. Right. right? Right. So, you know, and, 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 and from that perspective, I get it that, you know, I I don't think there's a line at uh, team LA today of people buying 24 to no jerseys. I don't Uh, But this team starts winning And I think it changes. So I think you are right now having to take a little bit of a leap of faith in the logic or a leap of faith in the management team, a leap of faith in the decisions that they've made. What gets me what gets me uh, to a point? I don't want to say excited, but what what intrigues me, Dennis, I guess that's the word I'm looking for is I understand the logic. And in life, if I understand Mm -hmm. the logic, I'm interested in watching it play out when I don't understand the logic. That's when I go, yeah, I'm just Mm – I'll give you an example. I love the prospects in Anaheim. I've mentioned that several times. I love the direction. I think that team is on a collision course with L.A. I think Mm -hmm. they're stacked at every position. I'm just not sold on Dallas Eakins. Mm -hmm. I've been saying that for two years now. I gave him the benefit of the doubt when he came up to the big club. I didn't like the regression that that team went through. I I will say I understand the logic in – um, surrounding him with 42 assistant coaches, including yeah. Mike Stothers I the think that's a solid move. Though. move. <laughs> I love the assistant coaches, but I but I just don't understand the logic of going another year with Dallas Eakins as the head coach in Anaheim. I just don't get it. Now, sure. maybe Bob Murray, you know, being that he's in the last year of his contract, he's like, well, you know, look, we're going to ride or die together. It's going to yes, be the two of us. Is, One you final year, lie. right? One final year. You know, I mean, okay. <laughs> yeah, but it but it doesn't intrigue me. Right. The logic in L.A. is enough to intrigue me. And it also intrigues me because as 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 much as it might be painful for people to hear the L.A. Kings under any scenario, Dennis, any scenario, any free agent signing, any trade, they were not going to be Stanley Cup contenders this year. Right. Can we agree on that? Oh, yeah. They were not going to be Stanley Cup contenders this year. The goal was to get to the postseason,
0: but not Stanley Cup
1: contenders so there you go so my expectations are centered on uh let's call it baby steps or phase one phase two phase Mm -hmm. three right did they accomplish what's necessary to where i can buy into phase one yep i can i think the team is better on paper than they were i think they all the stuff we've talked about defensively offensively among the forwards how you put the lineup together i'm on board now year two I need to see in year two, I need to see Alex Turcotte on the LA Kings roster. Mm -hmm. I need to see Kaliev on the LA Kings roster. Um, That's one of the things I like about the double A contract, DB. If, if Turcotte or Kaliev are really pushing hard in the first half of the season this year, or even Byfield's pushing hard and you want to get one of those three kids on the roster in the second half of the season, then it gives you some freedom and flexibility to flip double A. You move them at the trade deadline and uh, you bring one of those guys up. Right. And, and, so you have to look – you're not trading Trevor Moore, but I'm just saying a lot of these guys are on shorter-term shorter, ter- shorter term deals that gives them flexibility. I like the flexibility, and uh, I, I, I just I'm – not, I'm not interested in rushing the – as much as I want to see Kaliev in the NHL, I, I, I'm not worked up over the fact that he doesn't have a spot on the opening night lineup. It doesn't bother me.
0: It's got to be a meritocracy, John. He's got to earn that spot. If he plays good enough to get there, fine. but just to put him up there to say he was a high draft pick, he's got potential – no, if he merits being on the 23-man roster, I'm all for it. If it doesn't, then you send him back down to, to Ontario and you wait on and for the further development.
1: Yeah, uh, it does. It does sort of disappoint me a little bit that Anderson Dolan could potentially not be on the opening night roster. Um, I mean, these are first-world problems to have, right? Sure. If we're worried about who's on the fourth line, that's, right. that's a, it's it's a it's a first-world problem. Um, but knowing that the LA Kings have the top six, even the top nine, solidified does give me some confidence heading into the season, and if Anderson Dolan has to start the year in Ontario, as disappointing as it might be, because if it was me making the decision, I think that he has earned that spot in the NHL, uh, even at the cost of putting, for example, a Blake Lazat on waivers, if that's what it came down to. I would do that. That's me. Sure. Um, But it's not the end of the world. It's not complete piss-poor asset management no, 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 no. to keep Lazat on the team opening night and to move Jod into uh, into Ontario. Absolutely not. It,
0: it, it's it's small potatoes in the big picture.
1: All right, Dennis, this has been a jam-packed episode. Ooh. I want to give you one opportunity, though, before we go. Any parting thoughts? We have goaltending. We didn't even touch on that yet. Cal Peterson's entering his, his final year of his contract. Anything you want to talk about? Goaltending, defense, forwards, prospects, Rob Blake, Todd McClellan, get it off your chest right I'm now.
0: I'm going off the board. I reached out to two former Kings Trevor Lewis is thrilled to be going to to Calgary. Uh, He signed a one-year deal there, and I I said, well, maybe you'll finally get your tribute video when you come back to uh, Stables this year. And then our buddy Matt Luff, you know, happy trails to Matt. He signed a two-way deal in Nashville. He's motivated. He wants to show uh, people that he belongs in the NHL next season uh, he might get that opportunity with Nashville. So just reach out to those two cats. They're happy uh, at their new destination, so congratulations to them both.
1: All right, DB. uh, This next name might not mean anything to you, but I will say I don't normally talk about coaches. There are two men that I would walk through fire for. One of them we all know is Mike Stuthers. The second one is Jason Christie. I'm very, very pleased, over the moon excited to announce that Jason Christie has signed on as the assistant uh, coach for the Buffalo Sabres. If you don't know the history of Smurf, please go look it up. Just an amazing guy. He is the all-time winningest coach in the ECHL. Dennis, that in and of itself, think about the grind that that takes to become the winningest coach in that league, in the Coast League. Uh, This guy, he's a former player. He's played in the American League. He's coached at the American League. To get an opportunity in the NHL for Smurf is amazing. And my, uh, hell, Berube told a really funny story a couple weeks ago in the program, but one of my sort of, key points on Jason Christie is he came to Ontario with two weeks before the season started. They had virtually no players. They had nothing going on. Christie puts the entire team together using his phone, Rolodexing style, right? He just calls all everybody he knows, (laughs) gathers up former players, finds the guys that are available that aren't under contract, whatever he had to do. He puts a team together. That team dominated that year. And if it wasn't for, uh, they won the division, too. Uh, he nearly won the division every year that he was the coach in Ontario. Just an amazing, amazing coach. Talk to anybody who ever played for him. People love the guy. He is amazing. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm over the moon yep, excited for him, DB. I, I love when great things yep. happen to great people. And, and he is he's one of the best. One of the best. And for him to get a gig in the National Hockey League, man, I don't even know when the Sabres are coming to town, DB, but we're going to have to circle it on the calendar because the dude That's is – one of your guys. I know. Just, he's a great – Yep. He's a great, great man, and I'm very happy for him. Like I said, I love it when good things happen to good people, so uh, you know, I wish it wasn't the Sabres, but, you know, <laughs> hey, <laughs> there are only 32 teams offering right. assistant coach jobs, so you take them where you get them, right? You got it. All right, best of luck to Smurf. Hey, everybody, hopefully this episode was enjoyable to you. We will be back soon uh, on our next program. We will be joined by Mark Yanetti. I'm sure he'll have maybe a thing or two or a hundred to say, <laughs> and uh, coming up next week, we're hope to be, we hope to be joined by Philippe know. So a lot more coming on Kings of the Podcast. Have a great weekend, everybody.